0: Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And today, it's Boombox Release Day. The new Fozzie record has officially arrived. Get it wherever you buy and stream music. And let's celebrate with a special Duff McKagan joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you.
1: Hey, listen, uh, my wife said nothing rhymes with orange. I said, you're right, it doesn't. Oh thank you very much. Goodbye.
0: I debated with Duff about that, whether it makes sense or not. And I said, well, can you call it in the other way? And he just didn't even bother. So that's what we get. I think it's better. Nothing rhymes with orange. And I said, you're wrong. It doesn't. Because nothing, she's saying nothing rhymes with, if you have to explain the joke, it's not very good. So anyways, Duff wrote it. Duff chose it. Duff read it. And even though I was hoping for something a little better for Boombox release day, I still thank Duff McKagan, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, and of course, one of the cornerstones of Guns N' Roses, who are headlining Welcome to Rockville on May 21st in Daytona Beach, Florida, and then they'll be out touring Europe and South America for the summer. Go see them if you have a chance, and come see us. Come see Fozzie. We played a killer show last night at the legendary Whiskey A Go-Go on the Sunset Strip, the fourth time we've played there, fourth time we've headlined there, and tonight we're celebrating the release of Boombox just down the road in Garden Grove at the Garden Grove Amphitheater. Then the Save the World Tour hits Roseville out by Sacramento on Saturday, San Francisco on Sunday at the Great American Music Hall. Monday we're in Reno, Nevada at the Virginia Street Brewhouse. Then the following Thursday, the 12th Colorado Springs, 13th Denver, 14th Wichita, Kansas, Fort Smith, Arkansas, and we wrap up the tour in Sagitt, Illinois, St. Louis at Pop. Still tickets available. Go to fozzyrock.com. Still VIPs available as I'm doing this intro. i got to do VIP very soon. Uh, they are ready, they're willing, and they're able, ready for you. It's the best meet and greet in the business. We play a mini set for you. Some songs you won't even hear later that night at the show. We'll meet you, we'll greet you, we'll hang out with you. It is a rock and roll party. Oh, yeah. Fozzyrock.com for all tickets. And Fozzie VIP information. And over at Chris Jerichocruz.com for all information about Chris Jericho's rock and wrestling Rager at sea, the four-leaf clover. We are setting sail February 2nd, 2023. We've got a great lineup joining us. And for the first time ever, we're going to Great Stirrup Key, our very own private island. Come be a part of the vacation of a lifetime. Chris JerichoCruise.com. All right, today cause Boombox is finally here. All of Fozzie is back on Talk Is Jericho. Rich Ward, Billy Gray, PJ Farley, and our new drummer, Grant Brooks, join me to talk about the making of Boombox. We do a track by track breakdown, share our favorite songs to play live, tell stories behind the songs, get an inside look at Rich Ward's creative process with uh, our producer, Johnny Andrews, and myself. Discover why all the vocals were recorded at my house in Tampa and find out why the pandemic lockdown was the best thing to happen to this record. It very, very much was beneficial. So we get into the album art, the title, why the song sequence was so important to us in this day and age of one song at a time listening. We also explain how both PJ and Grant came to join Fozzy in the middle of the pandemic. We're celebrating all things Boombox. Our new record is out Today! and you can get it now wherever you buy or stream records and you hear all about it. The celebration starts right here. Boombox on Talk is Jericho. So after many years, finally uh, Boombox is uh, coming out. It's out today. So uh, congratulations. Big party time for that. And when – because I've been making a joke on, uh, on all, the, all the radio I've been doing that we, are, we called this record Chinese Phazocracy
2: because it took so long to make and record and release. So when did you start working on this, Rich? The timeline is blurry because it was like, uh, when was the first time you kissed a girl? You remember that. But when was the, the eighth time? And wh- like It was yeah, just yeah. one of those things that I, I think it had to have been 2019. Well, let me just give you a little. Yes,
0: thing. I remember we did the, the Maiden show at the stadium in L.A. And we wanted to have a single ready. And by the way, three fifths of the band, two fifths of the band was different at that point in time. So we wanted to have a single ready for the for the Maiden Stadium show. And so I remember recording uh, Nowhere to Run in May of 2019. That's when I did the vocal tracks for that. So it's May of 2022, so it's at least three, three years, years. for my performance alone, never mind how much time you and Johnny put together the songs. And had you put together all 12 songs at that point? No. Or was that just the first one because we needed a single Correct. to coincide with, uh, with the big show? Yeah.
2: Originally, you and I had talked about having a 2020 release and calling the album 2020. Right. And the idea was, let's have an album ready by 2020. And so... Thank you for that timeline, because that makes total sense now. I remember, I mean, Johnny and I had, was we played demos for you. We had Ugly on the Inside. We had My Great Wall. We had Army of One. We had I Still Burn. All of these songs in their infancy. But Johnny felt like that Nowhere to Run, this is the one. This is the time. Really? Yes, he felt like this was the single that's why we finished it first. He believed this was going to be the, the big song for us on the album. And then we finished it first so that we could have it out to promote on tour. Right. Not knowing that just a few months later, the whole world would, would hit out. the brakes. And
0: the funny thing is, the idea was 2020. We wanted to almost do it like Van Halen and release it in January yeah. of 2020. So it be like Van Halen did 1984 right, right at the beginning. And then we didn't really publicize it. And so Bon Jovi says they're going to put a record 2020. I remember Rich was pissed.
2: You Remember that? Yeah, because I thought, I mean, 1984 is such an amazing album title. And 2112, another fantastic. Right. 5150. I love these. Like these are great album titles and i thought 2020 is fantastic because not only that but having two twos and two zeros you could use amazing 20 vision yes it's just all this is going to be fantastic and then of course bon jovi steps in and steals our thunder but his was called
0: 2020 uh there was something else to it like 2020 revolution or something like this i mean I, i could probably look it up but i remember thinking well it's okay like ours was ours is still 2020 it's different from Bon Jovi's. I remember, like, who's going to the full title? Who's going to care? And who's going to even buy a new Bon Jovi record? But we kind we, we got of got trumped on that. And then we really got trumped <laughs> on <about> the freaking <laughs> pandemic that came out when uh, it didn't really matter what, what happened. So let's go back to to a little bit there because it was Billy and Rich and I and uh, Frank Fonseray and uh, and Randy uh, Drake were in the band at the time. So hold on, I'm just looking at this Bon Jovi record. Did he actually release it just as 2020? Yeah, it was just called 2020, so there you go. So Bon Jovi, you now have a record that for the rest of the time no one will ever want to listen to because they don't want to be remembered of that shitty year. (laughs) So so we started to do the record, and we did Know Where to Run, and we did the Know Where to Run video, and then we went into that tour. And we had a great tour, the Iron Maiden tour, as we call it, even though it was only one show, (laughs) but we built a whole tour around it, and there was a lot of momentum with the band because I remember a lot of those shows – did really, really good numbers. That tour seems
3: to stick out for me as being a good one. Do you remember that, Bill? I do, I do. Yeah. Uh, a lot of those shows had great numbers, and of course, topping it off with the Iron Maiden show, that was awesome. So yeah, yeah it was rolling really good. Yeah, until no
0: one that all... went top 10. Yes, yes. Uh, hit number 10, and that was about it for that. And then, once again, the pandemic happens, right? So where were you at? And a lot of this is going to be rich at the beginning, and, and, and PJ and Grant are here as well, but... Where were you at when the pandemic came? How many songs were written? I know it's kind of fuzzy, but how did how did the pandemic affect
2: this record basically? It made it the best record we have we've ever released. And the reason was our process has always been write record, demo record, send record out to all band members, band members collaborate, come together, make record, record record release album. This time, we decided to go ahead and record Nowhere to Run as a standalone. So no other... We've never recorded drums just for one song ever before. It's always record drums for the album. So what we ended up doing was recording a couple of songs at a time. So we recorded Nowhere to Run. Then we worked on... We also had My Great Wall and ugly, ugly before the lockdown correct right. and that was fantastic for us because all of a sudden we were allowed to concentrate on a couple of songs at a time right so sometimes it can be kind of overwhelming as any musician who's ever made a record knows it's like wow I, you're overwhelmed with the amount of work there is to to write and record an album the details especially the way that records are are made in Fozzie, and that we've we've really become a band who's been interested in making studio records not traditional ACDC or Motorhead style records where it's live in the studio, four or five guys banging out the riffs and recorded. We are writing ambitious albums. And part of that is, is our love for albums like Operation Mindcrime and The Wall and Night of the Opera. And we love these ambitious albums. And we've written some live sounding records. So this is the period where Fozzie's exploring the studio. And the pandemic allowed us to to really do that because then you and I are communicating by phone. Our producer Johnny and I are produ- are working over you know Skype and FaceTime and and that just didn't work.
0: Well, the weird thing about that because we tried that a couple of times. I remember we started doing the the Winnipegger show and, and the Saturday night special. If I tried to do like a jam, I remember me and Spew and Rybo let's do let's do Dead Flowers. We all know that song. And when you do it on Streamyard, it's all coming in on different times I was like yeah "Yeah, latency they didn't figure that out so I was like how could you work on songs if you're playing a riff and the singing but it's the timing is off it sounds like all three guys are row 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 you're boating it so how are you guys able to do that we weren't okay
2: yeah Mm -hmm. I mean it didn't it didn't work so then what I told Johnny which is what Chris, you and I had a discussion about the album. The first songs that were, the first batch of songs that we started working on were fantastic songs, but there weren't big riff songs. They weren't big, right. big, fuzzy right, right. riff, metal riffs. And you and I said, hey, we're going to have to go to Johnny and say, this is an opportunity. Let's make sure this album is balanced between these epic studio tracks and the traditional fuzzy bangers. Mm-hmm. So, I told Johnny, how about this? Let's push pause on, on our collaborative writing. Let me just come up with a riff factory. Come up with 10, 12, 14 riff ideas. Johnny doesn't like it when you present a song. He likes it when you hmm. present ideas. He wants to collaborate. Correct. Yeah. That's exactly right. He, you know, Bring in a, a verse riff and a and a melody or a chorus idea or a concept. Then let's collaborate on it. And part of the reason is, is that he... You know, like any writing process, the more that you invest in a song idea, and the more developed it is, the more your feeling's going to be hurt when the group tells you, no, we're going to do it a different way.
0: Demo-itis.
2: <laughs> yes, because you start hearing it the way you wrote it. Yeah. This is the way it was intended. It has to be this way. Yes. So Johnny's smart. He's worked with enough bands to know, like all producers, bring in some rough ideas. And I came in with, you know, a dozen really good riffs. Well, whatever really good right. is for, for good word riffs, which are great riffs, Yes, So I can say and, it. And we, riffs. we were really excited. And Johnny was like, these are really good. And what Johnny's gift is lyrics. He, big time. He, he is just such a phenomenal lyricist. And he also is a big fan of concepts. So we'll spend a lot of time discussing concepts. And that's why when I was talking to you about, Hey, w- what ideas, what do we want to express? because because johnny always his concepts are super dark yeah like he's always tapping into the darkest side of humanity
0: issues of his in his
2: life (laughs) thank god i'm so glad yeah Yeah. otherwise all of our songs would be the happiest and the thing
0: is too just just to step in as as a singer i make the analogy and i can is that you know Getty lee never wrote a lyric in rush ever so he has to take neil peart's lyrics and then you know internalize them and then make them his own Thankfully, Johnny's writing about the darker side of the human condition and not about trees and, you know, I think I'm going bald and red barchettas Barchettas. and these sort of things, you know, and the the, the motor law and and anthems and things like that. So you're right. He is a great lyricist. And I'll say one thing and you can take over again. In our band, when we started it, I was the lyric writer and you were the song and melody writer because that's what bands do. I had zero problems at all allowing Johnny and not allowing hoping that he would write all the lyrics because he's such, he is a top notch one percenter, Jim Morrison, Nikki six wordplay smart, amazing lyric writer.
2: He really is. And the thing is, is that he labors over those things. Whereas I think you and I are, our, our kind of traditional go-to on lyrics is we have these ideas and we pen stuff out and I'm the same way I've collaborated with you on lyrics yeah. for previous stuff. And I'm not a, big sleep on it like I my first ideas and I'm I'm like just spouting stuff out Johnny will labor over oh, words yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. and like this and it's a because in his in in his estimation the most important thing is being able to communicate and connect with people through the words yeah. whereas I'm a guitar player I was always gravitating towards what Randy Rhodes or Eddie Van Halen or George Lynch or Ingvar Malmsteen or Angus yeah. Young, like how did they connect well, with?
0: And to me as a, as a lyricist, if you look at like, you know, sandpaper every night I sing it, it's like, I went and saw the cult last week and that was a very cult word imagery, plastic, fantastic lobster telephone. doesn't mean anything, but that sounds pretty cool when you sing it. If you're Ian Asprey for me, you know, a cat scratch, a whiplash or witch hunt in black sandpaper. What the? Does that mean nothing? But it's cool and it's fun. Johnny doesn't work that way. No. He would never he would allow never, that He lyric. Would never allow yeah, it. Never allow that He lyric. has rules. Yeah. And, and we, we the- made him the principal, once again, the captain of the ship, where what he says goes as far as decision-making as the producer
2: of the record. And he will tell you straight out, part of the reason why active rock radio suffers a bit is because there's not a lot of danger in it. Things feel a little safe in stock. He was like, you know, everybody's talking about, oh, the pain and the scars. And he was like, we're not going to talk about pain and the scars because those are just such generic general terms. Let's be specific. Let's talk about things like in a way that we really can articulate these feelings and dig scratch so that that we're peeling back the onion layers. Let's not just talk about the outer skin. And he's so good I mean, those lyrics for Ugly on the inside are so good. He yeah. really has a such a fantastic understanding of the human condition, which is why he's such a great captain. And also,
0: for people that don't know, that's why he's had, I don't know, 20 number ones or 20 top tens and 10 number ones, whatever it is. Very successful songwriter for a litany of bands that lots are of gold right? albums. Yeah. He's,
2: he's yeah, he's yeah. excellent, and we like him, and we like him because he kind of completes us as yeah. a writing unit. That's the whole point of of a band is if everyone has the same strength, the team's not going to grow. It's it's always good if everyone brings something separate, and then all of a sudden the band is stronger than its individual parts because each member completes us. Right. And that's what Bob Rock and Rick Rubin and Mutt Lang, we were really looking for our version of that. And you see these documentaries where you see Angus and Malcolm saying, I'll never work with Mutt Lang again. (laughs) Because sometimes it's difficult to work with strong personalities, people who um, have a vision for your band and sit on the outside and say, you guys are great. But here's how you can be better. I see your strengths, and I see your weaknesses. Let's steer into the strengths and and shy away from these other things. And it's hard for someone from the outside for you to let them come in and tell you that your ideas aren't good. But it's necessary. If you don't understand band dynamics, think of it as a coach for a sports team. It's like, can you imagine a bunch of players on the field all dictating for themselves what they're going to do? Yeah. You have to have someone who has a vision for the, for the tactics of the game. And that's what Johnny is for us.
0: Just to kind of go a little bit forward, when there was the lockdown, I know for a while, because we we recorded Johnny's house and he wasn't comfortable having us in his house. No one really knew what to do, what was going on. So you mentioned that you had a lot of these songs. When did you finally when were you able to connect with Johnny to kind of finish the writing of the songs? Because the lockdown started, like we said, in March of 2020. I ended up doing the vocals for this 12 songs had to redo the vocals for some. We'll talk about that in basically March of 21. So that was a year. Is that, did you start going to his house? Did you start meeting up with them in masks and yes, everything?
2: masks? Yes. Masks and, and social distancing. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Johnny, he has family members that have health yeah, issues
0: and he, and he was super conservative with it. Yes,
2: yeah, he was, I mean, he was concerned about, Hey, I want to be able to be around my family yeah. and I don't want to, create issues right so eventually we got to that point where Johnny was comfortable enough where he and I were both vaccinated and uh, we were able to be in a room together where he felt comfortable and I was happy to make him comfortable as as you should right and luckily for me I had I went against the rules that are set in stone and I developed a bunch of ideas pretty thoroughly and I brought them in with a lot of confidence and said Okay. Because so much time had passed, it was like we gotta put this record out in twenty twenty five or are we gonna do this? Chinese phosocracy. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna do this. And Johnny really liked him. And the good news is is that I had more song I, in other words, he only had to pick his favorites. Right. It, it wasn't one of these things where he had to use all of them. He could focus in on the songs that he most resonated with. And I've with. already
0: heard two or three other riffs and, and song ideas that are just as good as anything on this record. Correct. So. We have so yeah.
2: many leftover ideas. Yeah. And part of that was just due to, what it, What are we going to do? Yeah. You know, when you have a great roster sitting on the bench, what players do you put in? Yeah. And, you know, so luckily for us, we've, we've got great kernels of of uh songs to to the next one yeah for the next one
0: well it was interesting because once the songs were finally ready then we had to get the vocals done because then suddenly there was this because we're we're now on on sony records sony uh music and there's a lot of deadlines and once things started to get back on it's like you guys have to have a record done in like a month we're like what like what are you talking about we worked the deadline up but we had we only had a certain amount of time to do my vocals which i think was the last thing because you guys were all in atlanta came in did your parts
2: I track guitars after you. Oh wow! Yeah. Wow! Yeah, you sang to demo guitars.
0: Okay, so let me just tell the story though. So I couldn't go to Atlanta, or I was working with AEW, and as we decided what was best was for Johnny to pack up his gear and come to Tampa. And where would we record? And we were trying to find a studio, and finally, at I think Jericho Fest, the birthday party I had a couple months prior, we were in the theater. And I had, we built a theater in my house right before the pandemic. It was amazing. We built a theater and a gym with no idea there was a pandemic coming. Two months later, we had movies and gym, no problem whatsoever. The theater room in my house is very high ceilings. And it was you suggested, or maybe Johnny heard about this, and I had to do a video of filming it. And Johnny said, We can record in the theater. So we recorded all the vocals because we redid Ugly johnny you guys didn't like the, the verse on that so we did 10 songs at my house one song a day which is which is the rule that we have and johnny had sing for two three hours and then you got it he would then leave his gear there go back to wherever he was staying and start working on whatever he was working on so this album the vocally was recorded at my house which is amazing in this day and age that we yeah. could do that
2: yeah it really was and and it was because i saw the studio or your theater the yeah. theater and told Johnny, I "Was like we don't need. He's got a fant. I mean, your your theater <laughs> is
3: fantastic. Yeah.
2: The only thing we got was one of those um, uh, acoustic shields. A baffles, yeah, a baffles is the yeah. word. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We had those kind of surrounding. Yeah. So, anyways, just because because
0: we've got a lot to cover. So, so once we got that uh, done, you did your guitars. We found we we worked with a couple different mixers, and then finally. The cat who did the Volbeat stuff. Jacob. Yep. I believe his name is Jacob.
2: Or Jakob. (laughs) Jakob. Depending on your dialect, preferences.
0: (laughs) He mixed it. We had it mastered, and it's basically been ready since May of 21, correct?
2: Yeah. We had Ted Jensen master it, who everyone knows from, well, if you don't know, he's from Sterling Sound. He mastered Hotel California, among (laughs) every other record.
0: His his discography is ridiculous it's and it's Jacob Hansen just for for you guys know it, what's his name again Ted Jensen Jensen yeah. yeah I remember you sent me this guy's name and I was like this is almost criminal that he's doing a Fozzie record because his uh yeah Eagles Hotel California Green Day American idiot Nora Jones come away with me that's about 15 million albums right there alone <laughs> he's got so he's got selected works of uh, uh I just have to tell you guys some of these ridiculous things that he worked on. Uh, exodus bob marley and the Wailers, footloose and fancy free rod stewart uh fast forward a bit more the stranger billy joel we're not even out of 1977 yet i just (laughs) named all those albums that he's done some girls the stones i mean this guy is as big as it gets so to have the fact that he did the the, the Fozzie record was
2: very very cool uh, anyway. I, remember, I remember when I, I said Hey, this guy's expensive But before I said anything else Let me say, send you a list of albums he's done And you're like, oh yes
0: Yeah, and it never ends You know, It's just like Fabulous Thunderbirds, Rolling Stones, Steel Wheels It's like any big band I'm just trying to fast forward into the 90s Madonna, Erotica, Images and Words, Dream Theater for Metal Guys It's like you name it, uh, that's what he's done So uh, and, and also, who's this guy here? Frank Sinatra Never heard of him <laughs> Hey, That's the answer to the trivia question If you've ever had Chili's There's what is, always a lemon What does Frank Sinatra and Fozzie have in common?
2: There you go Ted Jensen Ted Jensen
0: yeah. So the, the, the album was mixed and mastered And I want to go through a track by track And discuss the songs But a funny thing happened on the way to the forum As they say uh, Between May of 2019 and May of 2022 We have a brand new rhythm section which to me, and this is no slight to anybody who's been in our band, 37 people have been in this band over the years. <laughs> this is the best lineup of Fozzie we've ever had for so many reasons. But just quickly, PJ Farley joined us. Do you remember when you joined us? Because we did some shows in the summer of 21.
1: Yeah, it was August. the first. I think it was the first week of August of right.
0: t- 2020.
1: And and it was just a run of shows, just kind of filling and Randy,
0: in. Randy, our bass player, wasn't comfortable with going out on the road. So we said, well... Okay, let's do some shows. You know, people are doing the gigs. Let's do it and give it a try and be smart and, you know, all that other stuff. So when Randy couldn't do it, I think we might have texted the same name at the same time.
2: I mean, I said, what about PJ? And you said, I was just sending you, what about PJ? (laughs) Like.
0: What about P is what I end up sending when you said that? I was like, like,
2: what? He was the natural thing because you were already playing with him in quarantine. quarantine. And I obviously just knew that he'd be a perfect fit for the band. Because
0: he was on the cruise with us, which was in January of 20, another thing that happened right before the lockdown. So timing-wise, you were just in the right place at the right time. It's a real thing. (laughs) (laughs) Because I remember you saying something to me at some point, if you ever need somebody, which is basically very funny because Grant said it, we'll get to that. When was that? It was uh,
1: you know we were talking about uh, how it, quarantine came together and i was i'm like yeah dude anytime you need me for anything you know i'm because
0: you I, wanted to get into uh, a radio rock band again you do a lot of great stuff yeah i
1: mean I, obviously i mean with as many bands as i got going on i still you know i always long for the days of you know just getting in that groove band you know where you can get on a bus for a couple of weeks get in the zone You know, because for the last decade, the majority of my touring has been fly dates and hit and runs, throw and goes, and which is great. And it really does make you uh, a better person (laughs) to play under those conditions, you know, in so many different bands and stuff. But I hadn't been in a, in a, touring band. That, right, because you were
0: playing with Lita Ford and Eric Martin and Trickster and Raw right. and your own P.J. Farley mm-hmm. solo records which so great but to be in Fozzy where we're out in the bus at three weeks, six weeks, whatever. Yeah, be, and
1: like I said, yeah. you get into a zone where you're like, all right, night three, kinks are worked out or whatever and then you just, you know, you're in that non-thinking mode, you're on the same gear every night, you know, it's 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 a great feeling and coming from the decade that we all come from, except Grant, um, <laughs> we, uh, we know that feeling we know what it's like to get into that comfortable touring zone
0: right right right. and um
1: so it's it's always something
0: when you joined the band was there anything about the songs uh was it were they a little tricky to learn or were they pretty much what you expected because you bring a lot to the band even from a vocal standpoint there's a lot of harmonies in our band Mm -hmm. a lot of sort of that or was it just kind of like a figure them out and make them work
1: well the cool thing for me was because for so many years i've been i played with a pick and i played with my fingers but for the majority of the last 10 years, I'd say, I mean, aside from Trickster, where I kind of play with both, but primarily, you know, my, my fingers have been doing the talking for the uh, for the most part, even just like cover gigs and other right, projects right. and stuff. It all called me to play with my fingers. So Fozzie kind of made me get back into, you know, get my right hand back in shape. Now, why and,
0: is that? Why do you have to play with a pick in Fozzie?
1: Um, it's just the attack. It's the tone, you know, it's the attitude. It's it's everything. It just calls for it. Um, in my opinion, in my opinion, there's a lot of uh, some of the chugging and, you know, especially when you're just riding the eight, you know, you got to yeah, get that yeah, yeah. pick. And it, it was great for me to have to do that. You know, yeah. so now it's like I go from playing with Eric Martin where I got to play Billy Sheen parts with my fingers and then coming to do, you know, some, and some of this Fosse stuff is, tricky like for somebody if you like if i never played with a pick before this i would have a lot on my plate right you know luckily i kind of had some muscle memory something Um, like
0: sin and bones or something yeah sin
1: and bones um and i always say the the trickiest one because i'm doing a lot of singing wolves at bay Mm. that riff and singing that is the (laughs) the pat your head you know scratch your belly (laughs) kind of thing and i loved learning that because i'm like i love when i have to separate my brain yeah, you know, I mean, that's just that's you feel like you're working. You know, mm-hmm. I can learn a song in a second, but something like that, when you got to put work into it, it feels good once you get it down.
0: What I like too, and Billy, you might want to chime in on this, is that what I like that PJ brought to from from what we do on a live stage is like this is a you know a lifetime, thirty year pro, great stage presence and chemistry and moves and I know the move that you said Paul Stanley imitated because I like, you do it every night the kind of a little twist <laughs> the snake yeah, yeah. Yes. now now Billy I wanted to ask you this because the way that our stage is configured and people might not even think about this it's rich uh, to stage right and it's drummer behind and Chris in the middle and then you're always on the side yes. Billy and bass player yes <laughs> what is it with, with PJ and on your side of the stage that you enjoy uh being there with him
3: actually just you know pretty much everything it's uh very comfortable, very pro. The pocket that's being laid down, the awesome vocals and uh, just stage interaction all together. I mean, knowing to stay out of each other's Yeah, we've we, we got ridiculous. that down to a science now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, man, it's just uh, all of that rolled into one right there. So then we
0: go and do some touring. We're back on track. We had a, some great tours. Well, the first one was, was postponed. Two or three times and that was a great tour and then we went to the uk and our first ever sold out tour and then we realized that it's time to make a change on drums frank just isn't working out anymore and then here we have grant brooks who came to me uh well grant toured in a band called through fire with us three different tours
4: we toured in uh 2018 that was our first tour together we hit all over the u.s and then we toured uh the past fall Right. right when COVID was just slowly that was up. the Iron
0: Maiden tour, the quote unquote right. Iron Maiden tour, right? right.
4: Well, I th- was it after that? I think no, that it was, was it September was, last yeah. September. Oh, so, okay, okay, yeah. gotcha.
0: Because I remember you coming up to me, maybe it was in September, and saying what PJ said: "If you ever need somebody, mm-hmm. let me know." And I remember like when you're on tour and you see guys say, hey, "What's up?" But talking I was like, "Who's this f- guy? Sounds like Gomer Pyle." <laughs> he has got it, but he. But I was like, I always take that and put it in my back pocket because I think it's great. Like, if you ever need somebody, let me know. Because in this business, you never know when you might need somebody. So that stood out to me, and I thought, that's interesting. That takes a lot of balls for for somebody to say that, you know? Right. Uh, What was your reasoning for asking that question?
4: Well, touring with you guys like I did all throughout 2018 and just seeing the stage presence, the music, and what all y'all brought to the table, I was like, I don't know what it's going to take, but I want to be behind the kit for Fozzie, like whatever it takes. And I remember, I think we was halfway through the tour. I, I can't remember where it was that, but I, I went up to Rich, and I was like, we talked for like a good 30 minutes, and I told him the same thing. I was like, if you ever need a drummer, hit me up, let me know. And just,
0: Well, and that's what happened. Do you remember that, Rich, when he said that to you? What did you think when he asked you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't remember him saying that, and the only reason I don't is just because those are the kind of, casual conversations that you have with friends it's like hey man you ever you ever find a tight spot man you need a guy give me a buzz and i've said that to other people too but i always say it and i'm not going to join your band Mm -hmm. but if you ever need a guy to fill in i'm happy to come and be your guy because we're friends and whatever so i don't remember that but i do remember the um, our friends in the stir who are now like machines were looking for a drummer and Tanner, the the band leader, uh, reached out to me and said, do you know any drummers? I said, absolutely. There's the best drummer I know. Lives in, outside of Tupelo, Mississippi. He's a guy named Grant Brooks. And I hooked Grant up. With uh, with oh, Tanner, wow. yeah, wow. I got them talking. And when I called Grant to tell him about like machines, he goes, "Oh man, I was hoping you were calling to ask me about Fozzie <laughs> <sure was>. Yeah, <laughs> here's what he said. And yeah. then and then found, it, it didn't work out with like machines because like machines was looking for someone locally in Atlanta, right? Um, so it didn't work out. But then when we had the need to look for somebody, I remember we were on the bus in it uh, in in England, and I said. I think we should really consider Grant. Mainly because of his attitude. Because we can always audition and find out if he can play the parts. But the most important part that everyone needs to know is do you want to sit at Base Camp 2 and boil water with Sherpas, or do you want to go to the freaking <laughs> Summit? Yeah. Grant's a Summit kind of guy. Yeah. I don't want to hang out with Base Camp 2 and yeah. boil water guys. I right. do not. Only people that want to go risk freaking life and limb frostbite to get to that top and take that picture with those flags. Those are the only people that I want to be associated with. And a new Grant was a Summit guy. Mm. And and because you just... Every one of us, our parents have said, "You gotta have a backup plan." Like no parent in their rightful mind would send their child out and say, "Go be a rock star; you'll yeah. have no problems." It's <laughs> it's super easy. Everybody's doing it. It's like the this is rare air. Yeah. you want to make records? You want to go on tour? You want to? This is something that that talent has so little to do with it. It is all about what are you willing to do? It's Sean Connery in uh, what was that movie uh, with Elliot Ness? Oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. untouchables. The untouchables. What are you willing yeah. to do? What was
0: Peter Christ's thing? drummer willing to do anything to make it. Yeah. That was his ad yeah. and that Gene and Paul, willing to do anything to make it, yeah. right? So when we decided to, to make the change in drumming, uh, and obviously, listen, bass is very important, but bass is part of the front line. You're only as good in a, in a rock and roll band as your drummer. I think we can all agree upon that. Agreed. So we had a very short list And then it was up to you to decide who we should use. And you and I had some conversations. I always look at it from imaging and from personality. And then you do too. But then you have to do the next step of can the guys play the part? Because like PJ said, these are some very deceptively intricate songs that aren't easy
2: to do, especially to lock in with you. Yeah. And that was so I jammed with Grant and I jammed with one other guy. And very different styles very d- different skill sets but the the real thing that was the 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 deal maker for me with grant was this the summit is that i'll do whatever it takes yeah I, like he lives three and a half hours away from where our rehearsal space is i'll drive every day i'll come up there i'll relocate i'll do whatever it takes. doesn't ask for
0: gas money no
2: it doesn't ask for anything yeah just says this yep. is what i want to do and, and you know what we can work. I knew his base level skills were there. All you have to do is just, it's like a, a basketball player who played for another team for a long time. You just have to teach him your, your style. Yeah. He has to work into your format. And it, I knew he was, had the ability to, we just had to work. We so we did in together. Yeah. We did. Yeah, we yeah. like, yep. I told Grant at the very beginning, we are saying the same words, but we're saying them in a different language but you have to speak our language. We ain't coming over to your language. Yeah. You have to learn how to speak like Fozzie. So we're just going to have to go through boot camp and we're going to learn it. And we're going to reprogram you to think the way that we think. Because if I was to join his old band through fire, then I got to learn their yeah, style. Yeah, I got to yeah. learn their system. And he did. He did whatever it took.
0: And my thing was uh, he, he, we were texting, how's, how's Grant doing? How did he do you do? My thing too, I was like, dude, like we wanted somebody, a younger, attitude you know what i mean and i remember saying dude he plays without his shirt like that's what i like i don't ever want to see him wearing a shirt ever on stage because how many guys don't wear nakey. shirts on stage yeah. in this day and age nakey you know what i mean and uh I, I, to me i was like this is the guy as long as he can come within the ballpark of drumming that you can help with the rest that's the guy and that's why that's why you're here from all those elements
4: very happy to be here what did
0: you think when you finally got the call of 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 getting in the band.
4: Well, I still remember the call when he first called me. It was the day after Thanksgiving to to learn the songs, come down. I remember I was putting in 6 or 7 hours every day just playing, playing, playing. We jammed and then I I realized what I had to do. Went back and uh did it and you know, I all I could think about was like, man, I hope I get this. Hope I get, I hope I get the part, put in a lot of work. <laughs> he called and I was like, I gotta call my dad, like, because, you know, it was just so exciting. It was super exciting. Didn't I call you too and tell you, or who called? You, you, I called you, did. you, right? Yeah. Yeah, you called me, and I was like, I gotta call my dad instantly, because cool. he's been with me since the start, since I was 13. Since you were born. Yeah, pushing me. <laughs> well, of course, but when I got in the music, music career pushed me from day one, yeah. harder than anyone.
0: That's great. Awesome. PJ, obviously, you've been in a lot of bands. What did you think when you got the gig? Cool.
4: <laughs> I like, oh, yeah i got some time here let me, let me
0: squeeze you in
1: on a monday afternoon no i i was excited again getting into that that mode and yeah. you know fire it it's great because this band dictates when it wants to go out on tour how it wants to go on tour you know it's a great schedule yeah it's you know no,
0: but we we've worked hard like I mean, yeah. that's a whole the podcast of what we've built to be able to do this and Make it very viable. Yeah. So it's it's it does work out, you know, and you don't have to worry about being away from home. For but also, minutes. I
1: mean, getting back to your point, I mean, because I was a little bit in the dark with all the Fozzie's category until you called me. You know, I knew the songs on the radio and stuff like that, but I never did really the deep dive on it mm. until I you called me to fill in. Um, you guys called me that day, and I was like, "All right, cool. Let me check out these songs." And I was like, "Wow, this is killer!" Like. <laughs> I just didn't know what to expect other than, you know, a couple of songs I'd heard on the radio. And um, I think maybe you sent me the set list and I listened to those songs alone. And I was like, wow, this is, I mean, really
0: fun. Yeah, fun, a little fun. challenging. But Everything. Places it was, it was, to rock. Yeah.
2: Really quick, Wait, really, I always wanted to say, I, I just for people who are listening to us all kind of have this fun little love party, you would be surprised, all of you, How many bands are not friends and don't like each other and are in bands and go on stage frustrated with internal personality conflicts and there is nothing worse. Imagine going to work every day with people that you're not in love with uh, working with and then you have to live with them. And then you shower next to them and you hear them snoring and you are you are connected with these people spiritually emotionally creatively um, creatively financially and this is the most complete that this band has ever been of any drama any weirdness yeah. the band likes each other yeah. when we look at each other on stage it's like oh these are my friends these are my family members and that means a lot over the years, we've toured with bands where band members don't even travel together, mm-hmm. but they, they for, for the sake of the band, the company, the corporation, the w- whatever that is, they still show up together and play the gig. But there's something special about a band who is a real family and I don't mean fighting brothers. I mean a band who actually goes to has dinner together yeah, and, en- each and hangs out en- enjoys and, yeah. each other's company. There is not there is not enough uh, value placed on that, I think. We've been on we've been on tours on
0: bus shares where the other band were actually in fist fights two separate times. <laughs> Why would you ever want to be in a, you know, a business relationship with somebody you're punching in the face on the bus at night? But anyways, that's neither here nor there, because like you said, Rich, this is this is a very tight family unit. Grant and P.J. fit right in. Billy's been here for 20 years, and we've been here from the start. Uh, and I think, once again, this is the third best record we've ever done, which I love saying in radio interviews and watching people's reactions to see, are you really paying attention to what I'm saying? And if they don't react to that, I'm like, okay, they're not paying attention to what I'm saying. Uh, I think this is one of our best records, if not our best. It's called Boombox. Um, before we get into just talking about the songs... uh, I get asked quite a bit in all the the interviews I've been doing about the title of Boombox. And I remember, and once again, it could have been you, could have been me, of us discussing, our record titles don't fit the vibe of the band on stage. We have a very fun, energetic, good-time Van Halen 1981 vibe on stage. But yet our albums are called Sin and Bones and Do You Want to Start a War and All That Remains and Judas. We discussed about having something that was a little bit more, for lack of a better term, party, good time. We
2: did, you, This was your concept. Okay. Your, you said to me, this record is super dark. The lyrics are are digging deep in the darkest crevices of humanity. <laughs> we have got to counterbalance it with something that feels fun with something that really marries the other part of us which is our live delivery yeah, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you were like listen like we are we are a schizophrenic band we write these dark haunting songs and at the same time they're delivered in a way that feels okay about it there's mm-hmm. like this such a party atmosphere we need a title and i remember um that th- that was one of the ideas I had for a, a cover band idea was boombox, and I thought, and I asked you about it. What do you think about it? Because anytime I think of boombox, I think, man, like back to the glory what? days of the late seventies and early eighties. Of that's yeah. how we all listened to music. Everybody had a boombox. Like we put your favorite mix cassette in, and we all hung out, whether it's by the lake or at school on the bus, and we all listened to our boombox of all of our favorite songs, and it felt right. And I remember you immediately liked the idea. And uh, and then expanded on it uh,
0: because I've been saying like if people know what a boombox is from our generation probably forty and over then you know it equates with a good time and and your younger years and like I remember my mom's stereo was broken for months and we had the boombox was the stereo of the car which was great because before you had portable takeouts there you just take the boombox with you, you uh, we also used to call it a ghetto blaster mm-hmm. you just you know and uh, if you don't know what a boombox is it sounds cool. It sounds like a beatbox, which people know, and it also, we are, as a band, a modern-day boombox. We make booming sounds, and collectively, the band is the box of sound. It's the boombox. So that's a little bit deep, but to me, I think that fits. Grant, have you ever heard of a boombox before?
4: I have, but never seen one much. (laughs) How old are you, Grant? I'm 27. 27. You
0: fit in. Just You're you're a great guy, and you fit right in. You're an old soul, which counts as well. But So we came up with the idea of the boombox. Loved it. I think we discussed, let's have a boombox on fire, whatever it may be. And then I remember I just thought, what if we put a boombox on fire in the middle of Blade Runner? That's what the idea came from.
2: Yeah, I I did a Google search for boombox on fire and found a photograph, sent it to you, and then you said, we gotta put this in a virtual environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a photograph. Right. And then you collaborated with your artist and you guys, guys.
0: I collaborated with a couple guys oh. that didn't even come close together. Oh,
2: that's right. the, I remember that
0: One now. One guy was so bad, I was like, What is wrong with this guy? And that's why I went back to Abdul Malik who I always work with and I figured at least he speaks my language, like you mentioned, speaking Fozzie's language. He speaks Jericho's language of what I'm saying to him. And it took a while, but I think the cover is a color. The colors are great. The imagery is great. Uh, the little Easter eggs in the back, if you find them, are great. What do you guys think of the cover?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's colorful, vibrant, exciting. You know, it's all that. It's, it's basically the like love boat,
0: <laughs> <yeah>. right? She says, sounds like exciting somebody describing you. a meal. Billy,
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: what do you think? I think
3: it's. I like I like the uh, I like the description. It's colorful, but it's also modern you know yeah. fire's always cool you know fire fire you know
4: <laughs> fire you can't go wrong with fire yeah. i agree with billy you, you can't go wrong with fire <laughs> i mean it's just so different well, the, love the, it the thing about it too that
0: that's cool is um you know our other records the last two judas and and you want to sort of were very minimalist and they're also the same color you know they're kind of that the beigey yeah, with, yeah. The, with the bomb on the one and then just the the, the chick with the knife, knife. behind her back. So I thought, let's go the opposite direction, just make it super colorful. Yep. It's going to be bitch to sign, but you know we'll worry about that when it happens. Yeah. Uh, and then the last thing, which I just found out, is apparently Green Day has a, a record with the Boombox and Fire. We knew nothing about that. So Billy Joe, don't you even try and send your guys after us because we had no f***ing idea. And plus ours has Blade Runner, Tokyo, uh, rain-soaked uh, neon signs behind it. So that's the difference. <laughs> ding, 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 ding,
3: ding, 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 ding
0: So let's talk about the songs, and and we don't have to get into crazy detail, but I want to kind of do a track-by-track track for your thoughts on the song, uh, your feelings on it. Opening track is Sane, and this is one of the ones like Judas, not the one, this is like Judas, and at the moment I heard it, I said, this has to be the opening song on the record and the opening song in the set. Where'd you, where'd you come up with that concept and
2: idea? And, well, I wrote the whole song minus lyrics and melodies, uh, and had it ready to go. And that was the, you know, again, that was my technique. Was okay, we're we're looking at a deadline, so let me just present some completed ideas, which I like. I I articulated earlier, which is against the law, but luckily that one snuck through. Johnny loved it, thought it was a fantastic riff. Sent it immediately to you for approval. And then Johnny and I started working on... But I came
0: back with something, though, because I remember it had a lot of stops and starts in it. Correct. I said, this riff is an opener, but the song, I can't work it like this. And you guys talked about it. And then you came back with the current version, which is amazing with that Alex Lifeson-esque Rush solo and all that stuff. Do you remember that? Yeah, of course. You you guys rearranged
2: it. Well, that was always your beef with... Johnny's arrangements right. was that he loves to do these pop arrangements where he really breaks down in the verses and takes away the drum beat and just takes it just so that it focuses on the vocal. And you're like, we're a rock and roll band. Can we keep the band playing? Like, <laughs> And and, and that was your big argument with Johnny because he loves to make the chorus seem massive by stripping the verses down. And, and you, I think, rightfully was arguing for in rock and roll and heavy rock, especially the stuff that we grew up on, the verses were equally as important in keeping the band heavy and keeping the riffs going. Yeah, and
0: there's a place for that. I just thought for this song, if we're going to use it as an opener, let's let's make it just a barn burner all the way throughout. And it turned out that way. Did a great video for that song on the roller coaster. It was very uh, hard on all of us, Billy. What'd you think of the roller coaster video?
3: Uh, well, you know, it was it was definitely my last time ever being on roller coasters. Um. And, you know, uh, it was a uh, truly an experience, but it was an awesome idea yeah. and uh, next-level idea that no one's done before, and glad I uh, survived it.
0: What do you think of it as an opening song? Oh, I
3: love opening. Oh, dude, I love opening our show with that. It's like, I just oh, man, it's just like the biggest burst of energy with the groove and riff and just everything about it. The kick-ass chorus, big chorus, melody.
2: I love it, dude. It's awesome. It is a unique song when you think about... The fact that the bridge section is very unlike what mo- right, modern right. bands or even mm-hmm. classic bands are doing—it has a really unique, and it also is cool because the you know the the chorus lyric is just a declarative, sign. Just, yeah, yes. riff, yeah. and in the classic Fozzie fashion, it's uh, hook A, hook B, hook C, the triple hook, right? Yes. The Def
0: Leppard triple hook, right? Song number two, I still burn which is currently on the radio and it's our uh, quickest charting top 25 single ever and our sixth consecutive top 25 single stats stats (laughs) it's a good one too yeah yeah um now people ask me all the time because they still assume that i write the lyrics and and like we said it really doesn't make a difference either way but i sing them so they ask me is it about me according to Johnny it was kind of about me right he wrote those Johnny wrote those lyrics but based it on my career right correct Or what he thought that it was correct
2: yeah yeah as if you were writing a biography for somebody else mm-hmm. you know when he knows you he's right. obviously
0: worked together uh, for years yes and was, yeah
2: so he because he wanted you to have your song kiss doesn't sing we want to rock and roll all night. <laughs> Kiss sings, I want... It's important for the lead singer to tell his or her story. Mm. You know, that's... It should never be from the band's perspective. We rock is not as good as I rock. I rock. Yes. <laughs> and I think that's... um And that's why Johnny felt strong about it. And John Johnny never told you, because I think he just assumed that you would read the lyrics and go, oh, this kind of reminds me. But your point was that... Yeah, I mean, I could see where it would fit me, but it also could fit anybody because these are common experiences and stories that we all share.
0: Yeah, and this one right out of the gate, we were thinking this one has a chance to be the elusive, you know, elusive number one or whatever you might want to call it. But I remember thinking, to me, the reason why it's going to work is, I don't know, we've been very careful about marrying wrestling with, with Fozzie. I think we can get away with it more now because Fozzie has grown to its own entity, but... I thought this is everybody's story who's ever had a goal and a dream. You know, every time I'm, I'm at my end, I'm, I get up again. And I think we can all relate to that. The same way that I think everyone could relate to Judas, but in a darker way. Everyone I've ever loved, i pushed them all away. And everyone knows what it's like to make the wrong decision, even though you know you're making the wrong decision. And Judas was a monster because of that. I think I still burn as the same concept, but in a positive way for the... the having a dream and and reaching out and going for it any thoughts on that pj on i still burn
1: yeah i mean obviously when i first heard it and was learning the lyrics i thought i know what this is about Mm -hmm. you know i figured it was about you and you know your career but i see your point too i mean it it very well could be about anybody right universal but but it's definitely pertaining to you and i think it's a he, he really nailed it. He really did because yeah, I didn't I mean, write
0: any of those lyrics and they really do feel like me. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, every time I sing the line, lost some or watch some good friends gone too soon, I always right. think of Eddie Guerrero, which is crazy because his daughter Shawl is in the video for right. I Still Burn and I really had nothing to do with it. I didn't even think about it. That was you and Willis okay. that thought about using the Vaudettes because yeah. we had had them on the cruise a couple times. Yep.
2: Yeah, it's always great when you can connect with your lyrics. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it. You know, Again, Getty Lee did a fantastic job because he is a lifelong buddies and partners with Neil Pert writing lyrics. So Neil is writing lyrics knowing that his partner is going to sing them. Right. He's not writing them for somebody else to sing them. Yeah, and talk. so this was specifically tailored for you, not for Johnny to sing, not for Rich Ward or PJ to sing, but yeah, for you makes, to sing. Right, right. And that's important because when you're in a collaborative effort, we're all thinking of each other. I mean, and all the records you and I have made together, I never one time I ever thought of any melody that I wrote where I wasn't thinking, is this something that would be perfect for you? Like, you know, that's the way it is. And if you're writing a song, you have to think in terms of, can Rich play this? Is this his style? Is this, is this, is this Fozzie? Because this is a band. You don't just bring in an idea because you like it. Mm. It has to be something that, We've done that in the past,
0: us. but now with the Johnny Andrews, I and mean, we have learned from him. I would never bring in another, you know, Warmwood or Storm the Beaches. Or he's <laughs> yeah. got a 15 minute song here, Rich. Uh, one thing that's very cool that I wanted to just bring up is that Judas went gold, uh, an actual gold gold album, 500 thousand units sold. And just quickly, I think it's very cool that PJ got a gold record in 2022 and got a gold record in 1992. 30 years. 91. 91. Yep. But thirty years between, thirty-one years between gold records.
1: Right, and we had the presentation in New York on April 11th, and I was presented with my first gold record at the Meadowlands Arena on April 18th, 1991. So thirty-one years, almost to the day, in between. <laughs> wow. uh, almost. I'm going like, to try to shorten that gap up, though. Let me tell you. That's almost like for a the guy, next one.
0: Guy who has a kid when he's 19, then has a kid when he's fifth, uh, 49. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> grant uh, i remember they asked robert Trujillo when they did mtv icons in 2003 and the interviewer's like you've been in the band for five minutes and you're already an mtv icon <laughs> a millionaire, uh, you've been in the band for five minutes and you already have a gold record what is that i,
4: I know i, I remember we was in new york he's like grant's been in the band for two weeks and he's already got a gold record <laughs> <laughs> how is that for you though it's incredible yeah it's amazing like just being a part of that I never thought being from Mississippi you know being a band with a gold record you know what I'm saying yeah nobody from Mississippi has ever had a gold record (laughs) other than Elvis (laughs) Elvis he's the only one
0: he got them all
3: wash your hands you sinners and purify your
0: hearts Uh, the third track Purifier one of my favorite songs on the record one of my favorite songs in the set uh, it's just, a. I
2: remember when Johnny sent it to me, he goes, this one is a banger, as the kids say. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny was begging me. He wanted me to write a song that's got like a swing riff, like Too, too Young to Fall in Love by yeah. Motley yeah. Crue. And I kept trying to write something that had that type, not those notes, but that feel to it. And uh, I never did come up with that riff, but I did come up with something that had the similar... Kind of riff to uh, what's looks the, that kill. Looks they kill, yeah, yeah. And I was like, it's how does this feel? It's different, feel same band, different song, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't have too young to fall in love, but I do
1: have this, yeah, <laughs>
2: because he, you know, that's the one thing is like anytime that you're because Johnny had lyrics, and again, when you're in a collaborative environment, somebody has a concept and they are asking of you to bring this to the table to do this and it's difficult because when you're writing in a group you're not just writing for your own taste you're writing for a band and it's right. not a solo project we're all working together and when I came up with that riff I was like oh yeah this is and PJ you said it remind, what did that riff remind you of I th- forgot what it was it's got a
1: little white zombie kind of yes
2: zombie? it does it absolutely yeah. does yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's a four on the floor yeah. thing mm-hmm. Yeah, That's yep. a good it's point. a real headband chunky yes. it's,
0: it's now the, the cool the, the one last little thing about that is the intro for that song was originally Paul Harvey.
2: It was Paul Harvey, yeah.
0: You, you took a little snippet from, from Paul Harvey's a famous talk radio host. And then what was the
2: story with that? His estate wouldn't give us permission <laughs> to use it.
0: And what was he saying? Do you recall?
2: He was just talking, it was kind of apocalyptic. You know, it was him talking, telling a story about the changing times and, and and it worked really well. And well, we, then we, then at the last minute we couldn't use it. And Johnny asked you, Well,
0: no, I said, because I remember saying, "Willis, like, we can't use it. We're just going to send it with the, I said, well, dude, let me just do it. And and he's like, what are you going to say? And I just Googled purify Bible. And the, the, the Christians listening are going to kill me. I don't remember what the, what the (laughs) verse was but I just found this wicked verse about purifying yourself and cleansing your, wash your hands clean and purify yourself. So I said, do you like this? And you said you liked it. And I said, and Johnny liked it. And he, I said, well, just distort my voice. Like, uh, there's Molly crew again, like, uh, in the beginning at the beginning of shout out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I said, just distort it. So it sounds kind of really demonic and weird. And I sent it to him. I said, but we need it like in an hour. And he sent it back in like 10 minutes. He's like, that's great. Let's put that on there. And, That worked out perfect. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Uh, So another song that I'm getting asked about when I've been doing a press for this record is Army of One. Uh, This record to me is the tale of two cities because there's the six songs we've been playing live uh, for months and even years at this point, and there's the six songs that nobody has heard yet, and Army of One is one of those songs. To me, once again, we've done a couple ballads in the past, but this one... I don't know if Five Finger Death Punch is the right call for it, but it sounds like something you would hear on the radio by a band like that that has, you know, a dozen top tens, Shine down, maybe. But once again, it's Fozzie's style. But that one to me is is when I was kind of picking the singles in my head, it was, uh, no pun intended because that's the lyric of the song, but it was Sane and then I Still Burn and then Army of One.
2: Yeah, so Johnny had Army of One that he had collaborated with the same gentleman that he collaborated with Judas. Oh, wow. Yes. Justin? Uh, yes. Okay. From We as Human. From
0: the same time frame.
2: Same time Justin frame. Justin Cordell. Correct. Gotcha. And this song existed, and Johnny said, they are never going to use this song. It's incomplete, but it is a fantastic beginning. And, you know, asked, what do you guys think? And I said, man, I, I think this would be a fantastic song. So we we started to dig into it and Johnny had a real vision for it and that was bringing in real strings you know uh, making this a, a a real centerpiece song a real standout track on the album
0: well and it definitely is and it's, it's it's a singer song too i mean i'm 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 assuming we'll probably play it live at some point but it, to me it's going to be one of those ones that everyone takes out their cigarette lighter apps mm-hmm. and <laughs> waves them. We went to Journey last week the whole place had the cell phone Phones. lighter yeah, on lighters. it and another thing too that i really was going to mention that when we went to London this year and I, 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 we had, I had some health issues and I, I couldn't perform, we did the listening party. And it was amazing because it was like 800 fans and they sat there and listened to the whole record and they were into every song. And that was kind of the litmus test. I remember Army of One was the ones that were just, they were waving there. And th- these are people that have never heard the song before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's when you know you always have something special. Ugly on the Inside, I remember when I first heard this one, I was thinking, oh, that's going to be our first number one song. Now it's almost got the Lazarus effect, where Lazarus is a song from our uh, All That Remains album that when you first played it, I was like, oh, this is it. This is the single. And then we never ever played it live and really cared once it was all done. I felt the same about Ugly on the Inside. I thought the chorus was great, and I thought this is going to be a big one for us. It didn't even make the cut to get even in contention for a single. I still
1: am confused about
2: because I am too.
1: You I huh. always tell you yeah. that song. this song is it's so unique and your voice is just different on the on the track and it just it makes you um hit a different register and a different tonal quality that I think people need to hear and it makes it unique for the yeah. band. And yeah. it's a great
2: because we even we even got a treatment that we were working on for a video with Damian Leone yes. who did the
0: terrifier movies.
2: Yes. I mean and we I always, were moving forward with that. Yeah pre-pandemic
0: but i remember it was the classic sony records going yeah what else you
2: got yeah and i was like oh I was crushed i was too
0: because the other one was my great wall it was like we sent those two and these are both great eh, what else you got which i'm sure as one of the guys who wrote those songs is probably pretty pretty disheartening
2: yeah i didn't get it because i thought ugly on the inside was was such a no-brainer it had every component to be a f- just a fantastic song to use for a video. It's, it, I mean, it, it's different enough, but it, it has ten thousand hooks and sing-alongs and a cheerleader. Just, but it's got, it's got a novel- yeah, yeah.
1: not a novelty effect, but it's got the kind of a chant. You, it's got, G- it's got L- that. Y. Yeah, I mean, I that the-
2: is,
0: that's. I was thinking live this right is, right is going to go over great, but you know, and once again, this is something that I said earlier today on whatever interview I did. It's, it sucks, but. When you're in the big leagues, you know, Sony's is as big as it gets. As long as they have a plan, then I'm fine. And they had a plan with some of these other ideas and songs, whatever. But I still think that one, you know, we'll just have to fear the dark it and put in the live set and just make it a hit. We should. Yeah.
2: We, we absolutely should because that song deserves its... It, yeah, it's it, Absolutely. It, yeah. Even though we thought Lazarus did in the early stages on the album we didn't maybe we knew after
0: it wasn't one yeah.
2: Correct. Whereas Ugly, I think, is just yeah. one of these songs that it's it's Even like the
0: title is
1: better. I mean Lazarus, I think the title yeah. took it out of
0: category. Yeah, well, this is back when we were Dungeons and Dragons. Right. Yeah. So you
1: didn't have a shit didn't stand a chance. <laughs> yeah.
0: Ugly- yeah,
2: Dio on one shoulder and uh, yeah. Bruce Dickinson on the other. <laughs> yeah.
0: But yeah, I I I agree with you on that. And the thing too about the song is uh like, I just remember thinking they're going to just be chanting this and it's going to be great. But, you know, like I said, it's in our hands. It's the same thing we did with Elevator, where I think that could have been a big single. We played it live and then it ran its chorus. But as a single, I think that one kind of got lost in the shuffle. But, anyways, I remember uh, Matt Walsh from Three Days Grace, who actually came up with the original concept, was like, dude, I gave you this song. It's not even a single. I said, it's not our choice. I'm sorry, Matt. <laughs> you can cover it, and make it a number one, and give us the royalties for it right back on it, though. Uh, and then the end of side one. And we did put a lot of uh, time into the uh, sequencing of the record because even though a lot of people just listen to songs on shuffle one at a time, we all still like the concept of an album that takes you on a musical journey. Not to sound too pretentious, but it starts at the first song, Battery, and it goes all the way to Damage Incorporated and <laughs> takes you all in and out through, you know, out the whole thing. So relax, uh, the end of the proverbial side one. Um, I think this basically started because you were doing it with Guardians, but we also did it on, or did we do it on the Jericho Cruise cruise. first, on the 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 second cruise? cruise. No,
2: we did it on the cruise because the Guardians did and That was when, yeah, yeah, you were like, hey, we got to do a cover set. What are some suggestions that you guys do in Guardians? Because Frank and I already knew them, so it would be easier for us to kind of pull them into the set. Because that's a lot of material because Fozzie on Jericho Cruise plays three sets. Yes. A lot of material, so the idea is how many songs do we already kind of have in the family? In the yeah. And and when I suggested that to you, you're like, oh yeah, that's just a no brainer. And then we played it one night, and you're like, oh, this is. You remember that night we played it? Oh yeah, dude, Definitely. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's I a just killer.
3: Love the oh the vibe of that song. Relax, that's my that's my favorite cover we've done. Right I, I love that one. I absolutely love.
0: Well, it. I agree with you because it's almost got an industrial feel to it. Yes, oh, a Ramstein like thing. Like Ramstein. Yeah. But what I knew it would. Go over live, but it goes over live. It's one of the highlights of the set of that one part where you say, "Go fucking crazy!" That's that, awesome. We, we posted it on Instagram last night. If you guys want to see the 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 clip with the new lights and the new production and the, the 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 smoke going off behind the steam, it's almost very apocalyptic. Just you know, it's a like a like a funeral dirge. Yeah,
2: it, it is an incredible choice for us, and it was. And Johnny, that's the other thing is it passed the Johnny Andrews litmus test on. Yeah. We've we've had many suggestions that he was like, yeah, well, let's think about that, and which means it's never gonna happen. Like, like my
0: idea of doing a guitar saxophone duel. <laughs> yeah, he didn't like that idea. It was gonna be with Kenny G, and this is not a joke. I thought Kenny G and Rich Ward can do like a John Petrucci, Jordan Rudess thing and come up with something together and play some cool stuff. And then we were going to do Baker street and have him play on that. And Kenny wasn't too into that. And I think Johnny was just like, what the fuck is this guy talking about?
2: Yeah. I don't want Kenny G on my record. Yeah. <laughs> tell, <laughs> tell him <laughs> to call me when he's not in Kenny G's house.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Someday I'll do it. Uh, Nowhere to run. We've discussed uh, a great tune and made it to the top 10 that kicks off the next side. My great wall was another one that when I first heard it, I even was reading the email because I was trying to find it today, and I said it reminds me of something. I'm not going to tell you what it reminds me of. But it doesn't matter, but I love it. When I first heard it, it reminded me, and no one's going to know what this means, but it means a lot if you're a Halloween fan, of an Andy Darris Halloween song. And Andy Daris is is the singer who's with Michael Kiske now, but he writes all of the almost pop metal tunes that Halloween does. And this to me was like, it's a great heavy tune with a real pop element to it.
2: Yeah. I mean, that was another one of those. Johnny had a an, an idea, which was my great wall. He loved that idea yeah. of, similar to the concept of the wall, you know, right. the Roger Waters, you know, like creating this barrier between you and the rest of the world because you just can't, Find a place where you connect anymore with humanity, yeah. and I, another like, oh God, <laughs> songs always. to kill yourself too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it, it was a great idea, and then it was just a matter of that. That the first few songs that Johnny and I wrote was that process of him, he and I sitting in a room together with a guitar and a keyboard and staring at each other <laughs> and having dueling. What do you think about this? <laughs> uh, I don't know well what do you think about this like we just go back and forth you know yeah, yeah. it's like the two old guys in the Muppet show just telling each other <laughs> their ideas are terrible it's until like, we can agree on one like
0: George and, and Jerry are trying to write the script okay I walk in and say hi And I say hello that's great write it down (laughs) write it down we need something
1: here yeah yeah
2: Yeah, that's the process it's so hard it's always better to come in with some ideas than it is to just sit there and stare at each other like poker players like you're like (laughs) should I give you my best ideas now
0: uh what hell is like and that's one of those ones like you record a record you put it away for a while and then you kind of forget about something and and I remember in London when I heard that one I was like holy smokes this song is pretty freaking heavy.
1: Yeah, this song it this isn't you know certain songs have a put it late in the record kind of feel but that doesn't.
0: Yeah. You know. Yeah, I think none of those ones do. I know this is one of, none your, of, them one do. of your favorites I think, Rich. Yeah, that riff is yeah. freaking crazy. Monster.
2: Yeah, it's a great riff and um and it's also it's difficult too. it's very difficult. It's a super technical part and then breaking down into that verse is just it's just a it's a really interesting song again these songs are, are amongst our best because we allowed time for the yeah, soup yeah, to yeah. sit on the on the stove yeah, yeah, yeah. and we went back to it revision one two and three and listening to these things carefully crafting them building them into these little stories and again johnny sitting at the helm of the lyrics and, and and asking me to kind of write these sonic soundscapes to them and it was great because we were sending material to you for input. What do you think about this? And you making changes, sending your ideas back and forth. You know, you live in Tampa and Johnny and I are working in Atlanta, but we still communicate. Yeah, we're yeah. still able to bounce ideas back and forth. I'm the
0: Rick Rubin of, of that process. I just <laughs> move this here and play that double. They're like, yeah, whatever. I usually don't say much at that point unless I really feel strongly, which is why if I say something, you know, like the same yeah, example. you know. Uh, curious as to the story behind Omen. Omen to me is another one that was it's a it's a really cool song it was fun to sing when i heard it i thought a little bit disturbed maybe not disturbed a feeling but the band kind of where did that come from
2: Johnny wrote the guitar line on keyboard oh da 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 i was cool. like we're not doing that i'll play it on guitar <laughs> yeah like you know like it was one of those ideas where it, it was going to be a synthy low part and i was like let's just play it on guitar and then i remember for this record, because Judas was reacting well at radio, I was starting to get uh, some mailbox money. Like, and when the mailbox money would come in, I go on eBay and buy a bunch of pedals. And I was because I was wanting. It's like for for anyone, it's having the the most amount of crayons, you can create the most yeah, amount of course, colors. Of and so I. I bought so many pedals. I mean, I'm not even kidding when I say I probably bought 75, 100 pedals for this album. they yeah. are like, Edge? Yeah, I, I went nuts. Because they all do a different thing. I was buying new ones and old ones and trying different things, and that was why some of these songs, like when you listen to the guitars on, on Omen or you listen to the uh, Ugly on the Inside, all those creepy sounds and stuff, I was creating them and just... I will never recreate them because they're all of these analog pedals with these big, and I was Aww. taking pictures of the pedals, <laughs> yeah. so the settings, so I would try to remember what they were. But I'm
0: sure they used to do that in the 70s, probably, take a actual they camera and take a Yeah, picture. they had to, a Polaroid, to, a Polaroid yeah, or something. Diagrams. Yeah, yeah, right, yes. right, right That's right. exactly right, diagrams,
2: yeah. yes. But yeah, that was the whole idea was uh, trying to create on guitar what was happening lyrically with these creepy and I, disturbed I'm a, moments. I'm
0: a huge fan of the Omen movies, so I'm automatically assuming that Johnny watched Omen one night with Damien Thorne and wrote it about. It. I don't know if he did or not, but that's once again I have to internalize and sing and I just love the more I learn, the less I trust. This is the end of times, isn't it, obvious? And it's just like, "Ooh, that's creepy." And then it's this is an omen dun 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 dun. It's 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 a it's a great tune. You know, that that you kind of, like I said, with all these other songs, I kind of don't even rate it until you hear it. And you're like, holy shit, that's killer.
2: Yeah, we got so lucky on this record in that the B-sides could easily have been I mean, on the A-sides. It, does, yeah. it, does, it yeah, doesn't yeah. feel like yeah. you're getting deep into the record.
0: Right, it's almost like, right. and once again, we mentioned Def Leppard twice. This really does have a, a hysteria feel to it. And what I mean by that, or, or appetite, in that there's really no songs, there may be two songs on either record that maybe couldn't be singles and 10 that could be. And you can only have so many singles. But uh, then this is one of them. The worst is yet to come. That opening riff and the... Uh, uh, get your, uh, really, really Such know a great who I am? Another just great chorus. And the funny thing is, I don't know if Johnny knows anything about my wrestling career, but that was the thing that I said to Shawn Michaels before I famously threw him into the Jericho Tron 5000, the obscenely expensive Jericho Tron 5000. I kicked him in the balls, and I picked him up, and I said, the worst is yet to come, and I threw him through it. So when Johnny sent me that, I was like, do you know anything about this? He goes, what do you mean? I said, never mind. You know, this is catchphrase of mine. Everyone's going to think that I wrote it about me, but that's I sang right. it because that came from me.
2: When Johnny told me about his concept for the song, I was so in love with it because it's basically a relationship song about girls who like bad boys and guys who like bad girls and who are attracted to that because they like the danger involved. Yeah. And it's, it's the bad guy or the bad girl turning to them and going, Oh, you think it's bad now? The worst is yet to come. It's like you, it's basically like that, uh, the, the pinhead, you know, it's like, uh, Oh, and to think I hesitated. Yeah. It's that whole like hellraiser thing of like, Oh my God, I, you know the the ecstasy, but the dark side of getting caught up in one of those kind of bad boy bad girl relationships. Isn't that
1: right, Johnny Depp? <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> and then the uh, the final song on the record, which is a showcase for uh, for Billy Gray, hey. uh, the, the the Vulture Club, which was great because at first I was like, it doesn't need a th- just call it Vulture Club, and I remember Rich was like, no, it's the Vulture Club, get it? And I'm like, oh. Like the culture club, but it's the evil version.
2: Yes. <laughs> I was so heartbreaking. Don't take away the it's the, like, the culture <laughs> club, yeah.
0: But, but once again, in the fine tradition of, of ending the album with a very heavy song, Wolves at Bay, uh, Witchery, Those Born of Anger, it just felt like this has to be the last song on the record.
2: And I wrote that original... <laughs> and then I fell out of love with that riff. And I tried changing it for months. Oh, wow. I kept sending Johnny new versions of it. He's like, "Nope, that's the that's riff." Because
0: yeah. Johnny's not the the, the most uh, biggest fan of super heavy music, so he must have known that one. He loved the one. it
2: because it was sacral. It was just 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 oh, it's you know. a
0: ward riff with no f- around. That's you know
2: exactly I mean? right. Yeah. He's like, it doesn't need to be more technical, more complicated. Because I kept trying to make it a little more. You know, uh, I was I was trying to give it a little bit more kind of fanciness to it, or highfalutin, yeah. <laughs> you know. And he was like, no, 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 and it, and it, and I, it, he was right.
0: And then and then Billy plays the solo on that. Yes. And the cool thing is, in Wolves at Bay, you guys traded solos. So I thought that you guys did the same, and I was like, which one of these is Rich? Because they neither one of them sounds like Rich. Which one did he do? And it's because you did the whole eight bars or whatever, yes. 16 bars or whatever it is yes. what was uh the mindset in that because you had traded off in the past yeah
2: well i was like i wanted to give billy a long solo we didn't have any all the solos on the record except the vulture club are pretty quick ones because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. johnny's like ah you know let's get it on and you know get <laughs> yeah. it over with you know like
0: <laughs> i remember uh because the, the i still burn i was watching of the people reaction videos on youtube where they hear it for the first time and the one guy was just going nuts when you played your solo for us to burn. And He was so crestfallen it was done. He's like, That's the greatest song. I love it. I wish the solo was longer, but but anyways, but you're like, You're lucky you got four bars at all. <laughs> yeah, you're
2: lucky. And I knew this one song had a long solo, so I knew it needed to go to Billy. It's a great solo, yeah. dude.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, when I got it, um, I hadn't heard any lyrics. I hadn't heard anything. Oh, so wow.
2: I didn't even send him the song.
3: Yeah. I He's, sent him the section yeah. of the solo. Oh, wow. And he sent me the title. I was like Okay, this song is called The Vulture Club. So I started just thinking about how vultures sit on the side of the freaking road eating a carcass and just starting <laughs> to thinking of dark notes, you what know that what I mean? Like? What does that yeah. sound like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it sounds like I just started thinking soul. of dark you know, dark notes, but you know, Throwing some, you know, throwing some crazy sounds and speed in there, and just, you know, that's, that's cool, man. Yeah. That's a very uh, cool story. Yeah, that's how I. Uh, that just because he sent me the section with the title. Yeah, and that's that's what I thought about when I did it. And I actually, came around pretty quick actually to to do it. You know, I was. They usually shocked.
0: say, and you can you can chime in too, Rich. Is that the best solos are ones that usually kind of come up pretty quickly.
2: Well, I mean there's two two ways of it. It's the ones that it's the it's really quickly, it feels right, and then there's the ones that you compose. compose. Yes. yes. Yeah. And those are and there's two different worlds. I mean, Eddie was Eddie Van Halen was always classic for being a, a first take, first idea guy, and then you had guys like George Lynch who loved to build solos. Mm-hmm. You know, and Randy Rhodes who would mm. slave and labor yes. over yeah, a right, solo for right, weeks. Right, right. And so it, I don't know that any one way is right, but it is I think the best solos lie in the extremes, you know?
0: I think I still Burned, that solo you wrote right after Eddie Van Halen passed away, right? Right. Yeah. Kind of inspired by one hundred percent. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I just it was a matter of fact like two days after he died and it was like we gotta Mm. do something that's got that kind of vibe to it. Listen, no bands write records that aren't colored by their heroes. Of course. And that's the one thing is like when someone goes, Ah, it reminds me a little bit of that, it was like everything. We were listening to uh uh, Sam Cooke, uh, PJ, and I were listening to some Sam Cooke on the on the on the bus the other night. It's dead on Steve Perry melodies. Oh yeah, oh, it's absolutely. you know, it's like down to the words. Yeah, you make me weak. It's in one of his songs.
0: The, 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 all of the Beatles melodies prior to '64 is all Chuck Berry
2: yeah. Yeah. and Little Richard. Yeah. Oh yeah, I got a talent man. Yeah, ah, yeah, you know? yeah. And it's and it's it's what we do as songwriters, even if we don't realize it. Because we are fans of this. We're attracted to that. It's the same way that chefs are cooking the exactly. way the foods that they've eaten that they yeah. were inspired by. Well, just spiders. took the words out of my
1: mouth. Yeah. The ingredients, we have ingredients, we collect it. What ingredients do you have? <laughs> yeah. you know, right. Put them
2: in the pot. Yeah, here if you think J.J. Abrams isn't making Steven Spielberg movies, totally so you're, right. yeah, you're, yeah. you're <laughs> strange.
0: Stranger exactly. Things is all Steven Spielberg. Yeah, totally. Last couple of things as we start to wind down here. So now we've went through the album, we've told the whole backstory. Uh, what is your favorite song on the record uh once again the tale of two albums favorite song on the record that we've been playing live and that includes the vulture club which we're not doing currently and then favorite song of the of the songs that no one has quote unquote heard yet uh, I'll start with uh, I still think my favorite uh, it's hard purifier is my, my favorite to play live but I still burn is my favorite to sing and of the other ones uh, the worst is yet to come I think is is my favorite for that for that one BJ i'll
3: go purifier and ugly i'm gonna go uh, i still burned love playing that live love the song and uh i'm gonna say what hell is like i love uh, that yeah i love that
0: how's that trying to learn that riff uh well
3: now that i don't know it uh, yeah. <laughs>
4: pretty hard i'll let you know <laughs> i'm revisit that one. <laughs> if, you to,
0: if you had to learn it yeah all right grant
4: I'm going to have to go with I Still Burn. It's amazing seeing the crowd reaction already from every night playing that song. People singing every word. And then um, Army of One, that one sticks out to me. I can't wait for everyone to hear that. What's the hardest song for you to play in the set? Currently, um, it would have to be, are we going off the new album? No, just no, just all the songs we're playing. It took me longest to learn Sin and Bones properly. Gotcha. Properly to lock in with Rich, Billy, and PJ. That's the hardest song. To yeah. Say, yeah, 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 hundred percent. But once it gets locked in, it's it's, it's beautiful. Who's sailing Yeah, Richie, what do you think? Yeah,
2: I'm going with Sane. I just, it, I think we benefits from the fact it's the it's the set opener. Yeah, it, the energy you can feel it in the room, and this and it's a riff of Palooza. And I love your vocal melodies. And I am living yeah, within yeah, this yeah, night, It's a great man. opening, yeah, man. It really oh, is. It really is a great song. And then uh, What Hell Is Like an Uglier probably tied for me just because I am i can't wait to play both. They Probably towards the end of the album cycle, we should, we should at least think about putting those two in. Um. I,
0: I think, honestly, and we've said this before, I think at some point we could do this whole album in its entirety. Yeah. I think we could. Yeah. You know, because every song on it, Works and like I said, I know it does because I saw it in London for 800 people that were a little disappointed we weren't playing. What are we going to be hearing? And they loved every f***ing song.
1: And also, don't forget when you, you ask the crowd every night how many people have seen us before, yeah. we get a good reaction. Yeah, yeah. But the bigger reaction is how many people are seeing us for the first time,
0: yeah, 60 70 percent. So it it's now. not
1: like anyone's going to go get you know a refreshment during any particular song because, right,
0: right, well, congrats, guys, we got a, a great record here. And uh, a great band. And I'm excited to tour the world and elsewhere (laughs) uh, and uh, play all these new songs for everybody. Congratulations. Thank you. We did did it. We did it. We did it. it. Uh, And collectively, I can say that definitely we rock. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I rock. That's a car from the 80s.